Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. Wanted to bring you a bonus segment this week to kind of expound upon our favorite red woman, the Lady Melisandre from the Shadowlands of Ashai. The reason I want to talk more about her is we saw a very interesting side of her in the first episode of Season 6, which we just had a couple of days ago, and we've got Episode 2 just a couple days from now. So we are, you know, well on our way into getting into Season 6. But Melisandre showed us a very different side of herself at the end of the episode. We see her basically revealing her true form to us, the viewer, by removing her choker. And this glamour, which I'm going to get into a little bit more, but this glamour that she basically has, which shows her to be young and beautiful and, you know, red hair, etc., when she takes off the choker and lets basically lets down her guard, so to speak, her glamour has, quote, faded. And so we see this very old, aged, and just kind of haggard woman who we're hearing, you know, everything is speculation with this, including, you know, George's lack of specificity with some of these topics, but also with the show trying to show you know show us what's in the book but not necessarily give too too much away even though we're out of book material for most of the characters not all of the characters there are still things on the show we have not seen but we see Melisandre with long gray hair looking clearly over the age of probably 200 if you had to ask me if somebody was like what do you think and how old do you think she is I would say she's at least 200 years old. But that we see this vulnerability. Um, we talked about this in the episode, the main episode this week on, on our recap, but we really see her in a very vulnerable state, and you're really not quite sure what to think. Clearly, everything up to this point has been Melisandre, you know, basically believing in everything she's seen in the fire, even though sometimes it doesn't add up, and she even admits to seeing different things or seeing outcomes differently than how the show, or the books, for for, for that reason, uh, for how things have gone. So we see her in this odd place. She hops in the bed, goes to sleep, fade to black. Now, we're all expecting some sort of redemption maybe you could call it with her and Jon Snow this season if she is truly going to bring him back we have yet to see but we are expecting something to try to go down now throughout the episode she mentions you know I saw Jon in the flames and he was at Winterfell fighting which you and I both know hasn't happened yet so maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing maybe that's just her believing what she wants to believe and what she's seen in the flames. But let's touch on Melisandre's background first. And the whole reason I'm doing this episode is to have everybody get up to speed on Melisandre. We've gone through a long, arduous journey with her from Stannis early on in Season 2 and going you know, all the way through Season 5, now into Season 6, and the highs and lows, ups and downs, blood magic, shadow babies, whatever you can think of. So Melisandre, as far as we know, her bio states that she is from 
the Shadowlands in Ashai. Now, Ashai is in the far, far east. And yes, it is a, you know, it's a populated city. It's not hugely populated, but people do live there. Most people believe that uh, the Ashai are very practiced in magic and, quote, dark arts and things like that, things of that nature. So we have a lot of these folks. I mean, we don't know really anything about them. You know, no characters really going there and telling us firsthand what's going on. A lot of it is either in the mythos of, uh, you know, history or just storytellers, kind of oral tradition. And so we really have a lot of uh, what we know about Ashai from sources like that. But we believe Melisandre to be from Ashai. And in the realm of magic, they believe that people in Ashai can practice shadow binding. Now, we know this to be true because Renly Baratheon, rest in peace, was killed by a shadow assassin that was conjured by Melisandre. And we saw this in the show, and Brienne just got revenge for that last season. But we know that to be possible. We also know that other people have been known to be able to do this. So, the biggest thing, though, is we believe Melisandre to have been sold to the Red, the red Priests and the Temple of Rolor years ago when she was a young child. Now, she herself has a recollection in the books that she may have been a, a slave, sold into slavery, sold off, and eventually was sold to the Temple of Rolor in Ashai. Well, you, you know, if she's truly as old as we think she is now, uh, she has made quite a journey. I'm sure as you get older and she got more powerful, she was able to you know, move on, but she still feel, you know, you still get this feeling that she's quote serving Rolor, but she's not really, in my opinion, I don't think she's really serving the quote, the church. I don't think she's answering to anybody, but that's just my opinion. So anyway, as we see Melisandre in terms of when we are first introduced to her in the show, we really don't know that much. With her revealing her true form, a, an older fan theory that's probably been around for more years than I realize, because uh, the books have been around for 20 years, um, and the theory requires a little bit of background, but it involves Melisandre being the daughter of a bastard Targaryen named Shiera Seastar. Now, this is not somebody that everybody that's listening or has watched the show has heard of. Uh, she's never been mentioned, as far as I'm aware, and the theory itself requires a lot of book evidence, um, a little extra evidence uh, presented by George himself, but basically... Shiera Seastar is the bastard daughter of King Aegon IV. And this was around late 170s, early 180s in the show's kind of timeline. Um, after you know, Aegon's landing. 
And in terms of the show, we are in the 300s now in, in the timeline. So King Aegon IV and his ninth mistress, Lady Sirene of Lys, uh, which is a place we've heard of before, um, one of the free cities, they have a daughter. And, you know, she's technically a bastard. Sirene is a mistress, and she is not a Targaryen. Typical sister-wife type stuff is not happening there. So they have this child, and, you know, she grows up to be very beautiful. She's got two different color eyes. It makes her even more mysterious. Oh, my God, I can't even imagine. And it all gets more interesting because it is purported that Shiera Seastar was romantically involved with Brendan Rivers, a.k.a. Blood Raven, a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven. So, you can see kind of where this theory is going already. Now, it is believed that Shiera and Blood Raven could have potentially had a child. The child of which would be Melisandre. Now, there was an initial theory that Shiera, Seastar herself, was Melisandre, but... It was kind of debunked. The timeline didn't really make sense. Also, Mel's backstory, um, having been a kid and sold to the temple and all of that, really wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. It could be a purposeful mix misdirect, but uh, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, But this theory purports that Chiera and Blood Raven have a kid, and that kid is Melisandre. The theory, though, is built upon... A lot of imagery and descriptors that George gives throughout the book to describe these three characters, those being Shiera, Bloodraven, and Melisandre. Um, you know, the constant references to the color red, scarlet, um, the description of Shiera, the description of Melisandre, their physical attributes. Um, they, you know, they're both said to be, you know, very beautiful and have heart-shaped faces, which apparently is a rare feature. Shout out to those two gals. Um, but anyway, we see a lot of book evidence saying they're pretty similar. Also, all of the background references to bleeding, which goes into the whole, remember the, com the comet from, I guess that was season two, um, with Daenerys, and it's in the sky, and people are freaking out, and it's omens, and all this stuff. So, the theory says that Mel could serve as the, quote, red star that, that bleeds. And we do see this in the book. That is one of the main characteristics, if you believe fully in the explanation of the Azor High theory, and him coming back to grace us with his presence. Um is that when the Red Star bleeds and the darkness gathers, Azor Ahai shall be born again. That's a direct quote from the books. So, digging in more to the background as to why people think this is a reputable theory, um, we go into a couple things. Melisandre in A Dance with Dragons, her eyes are referred to as red stars, specifically in the text. And so, you know, that's just one piece of evidence that she could be the Red Star bleeding. Another is that the choker that she so famously took off in the last episode 
it glows usually when she performs one of her various powers that we still don't have the whole menu quite memorized as to what she can do uh, or what she can do consistently. But it mentions that her the, the ruby in her choker glowed like a red star. So those are two very prominent book examples that could lend itself to this theory. The other thing, and I just discovered this today, that I find really, really interesting is when the comet is visible and is going through the, the atmosphere, the Dothraki apparently, you know, they're very, you know, into omens and all that stuff. They name the comet Shirak, I guess it's Kia, Quia, something like that which translates to be the bleeding star. Now, Shirak is the exact same root of the word Shiera. They're spelled exactly the same. The only thing that's different is there's a K added. So I find that to be really interesting because that word, you would argue, has been around a while. The Dothraki have used it before. And the only thing we know is that Shiera was named, and we don't know why she was named that, but that her mother actually died died in childbirth shortly after and just indicates that the, the name Shiera means star of the sea. And that is specifically mentioned. Uh, but you don't know... I, I do find it interesting, though, that, you know, the Dothraki Sea is a bunch of grasslands, but it's a, you know, a very a wide area. Um... And yes, it's true that Cyrene was from Lys, which is over in the Free Cities area in Essos, and so she may have come across Dothraki before making her way to King's Landing. Um, and so she may have always thought that this was a, you know, a good name, or maybe she felt upon, maybe she knew she was going to die, and that she wanted this child to bear that name, we don't know why. It all could just be happenstance, it could all be coincidence, there could be other reasons, but we're just not sure. So, that is one aspect of a little bit of book evidence, a couple of quotes, tying the star, the red, the red star, like all that stuff together. So, as we continue to research this, we come across the Blood Raven portion of the theory. It's indicated that uh, Cyrene wasn't herself very uh, tall, but Blood Raven is over six feet. Melisandre's height is also referenced, and we see that she is taller than most knights, quote, is, is the information we're given there. Now, George has a lot of imagery with coloring and other descriptors, but uh, Brendan Rivers wears scarlet. Now, he is a Targaryen bastard, uh, but he wears scarlet, and he is, quote, frequently cloaked and hooded. And the direct quote we're talking about here is uh, that hooks it to Melisandre. A woman garbed in all reds, face shadowed within the deep hood of her scarlet cloak. Now, we all know that Melisandre always wears red, scarlet, maroon, ruby, whatever you want to call it, crimson, on the show. She is the red woman. They say it all the time. They have beat it into us. We get it. Um, 
But that was one of the interesting connections to the Blood Raven as well, and how they kind of seem, you know, they have some attributes that are similar. Uh, I know it's all kind of circumstantial, uh, but, you know, that's what people are talking about is why they think even more so that this theory could be possible. And they've been saying that for a while. I didn't come up with this on my own. I don't, it's not, I'm not being original. I'm not taking anybody's work. I'm just saying what's been out there and reporting those facts. The quotes are all there. You can look them up yourself. They're in the book. If you're a book follower, book reader, or book researcher like uh, me and Matt are, um, you can find this stuff. So anyway, those that is the main situation. The main situation. So if it is true that Shira Seastar and Brendan Rivers had a kid, and it happens to be Melisandre, and for some reason she was separated from her mother, because we really don't know what happened to Shiera Seastar. Um, she, quote, just disappears. We don't know what happened to her. The rumors purport that if she was indeed pregnant and was going to be having a child, that she would logically leave King's Landing because of all the drama that was going on at the time. And she was a bastard, and it was the Blackfire Rebellion and just a very contentious time back in Westeros. So it's perfectly plausible that she could have gone east. Now, where things get messy is we don't really know what happens to her uh, at all, and we really don't know what would happen if she got east and, you know, stuff went south. If things did go south, it could explain why her daughter was either sold to the temple or sold to somebody who eventually sold her to the temple, and they were caught up in the slave trade. Even though Shiera um, is magically inclined and can perform certain abilities, um, we don't know... You know, like, I don't think she was, like, a fierce warrior or anything like that, and she was probably traveling alone because the Three-Eyed Raven, a.k.a. Brendan Rivers, is very north of the wall hanging out with Bran. So we would assume she left on her own. Uh, they were never married, to be clear. I kind of left that out. It's not hugely important, but he tried uh, asking her for her hand in marriage over 50 times is what the material says. But she, she felt it was more fun to make him jealous with other men, but would eventually hang out with him anyway. So if they go east and they get sold into the slave trade and they're either separated or, you know, something else happens, we, we're not quite sure. But it could explain how they made it so far east. Um, she could have been going back to Lease to see the land where her mom was from and... The other interesting thing is that Cyrene and Shiera and Melisandre all seem to have a connection to glamouring and being able to uh, do some form of magic, whether that's shadow binding and glamouring and things like that. Um, one other quick note, Cyrene of Lys was also purported to be part of a Valyrian... Uh, heritage, um, the last daughter of some type of, you know, ancient Valyrian family. Um, so anyway, there could also be some magic or 
things tied to that as well, and also you know lineage to old Valyria, which is kind of interesting because we really don't see too too much of that. Considering after the doom and everybody got wiped out, uh, you know we don't we just don't see a lot of those people around. But anyway, with all of that being said, there is a connection between the three ladies. If it is true that you know they're they're all related. Uh, that they can glamour or do these illusions, which make them appear much younger than they actually are. Um, we're not sure why they live so long. Maybe that's an ability as well. Uh, but they do have the ability to glamour. Now, the interesting thing is, there is a theory about glamouring that you have to have something to model yourself off of. So it could be perfectly reasonable that if that is true, Melisandre is using her younger form currently. But she's been around so long, nobody would know her anyway. Most of those people have probably died off. But that she's modeling herself on a younger form, younger version. So those are all some very, very interesting connections we see with those characters in particular, but also expounding upon this theory that Melisandre is the bleeding star and that she could possibly be have some Targaryen heritage. You know, both both Brendan and Shiera were bastards, so she wouldn't be 100%, um, but she would have not only one Valyrian family blood in her, that being the Targaryens, she would have a second because... Shiera's mom descended from Valyrians as well. So, anyway, if Melisandre is in fact a Targaryen, that could make things very, very interesting. The other thing that this theory doesn't really dive into, because it's all circumspect about the bleeding and how literal versus figurative that is, because there is reference to Melisandre seeing something in the flames related to Brendan Rivers, and she's like spontaneously bleeding. I don't think she's bleeding out. I think it's kind of a symbolic, you know, in the movie where you get like the nosebleed and everybody starts to panic because the disease is finally setting in. I think it's just there as an indicator um, that something's going on and there's a reason it's going on, but... The figurative versus literal bleeding leads me to this final point. For Azor Ahai to be reborn of salt and smoke, etc., etc., when the, when the Red Star bleeds, could mean two things. Melisandre taking part in a possible resurrection, if you out there believe Jon Snow is Azor Ahai, which is a very popular and widely held theory, with some evidence, um... Does it require her to see the vision, participate in some type of ceremony, bleed somewhat uh, to make it come true? Or does she have to actually bleed, sacrifice herself, thus having John reborn as Azor High? Then you get the whole bring in the, the sword, Lightbringer, and how it gets its power and all the trials and tribulations that Azor High went through the first time with his wife and she being the ultimate sacrifice so that the long night could end. These are all things that have to be taken into consideration when considering not only the Azor Ahai theory, but 
the red star portion of the theory, if you're diving in a little deeper, and whether you believe all of these things take place figuratively, literally, um, in the actual world, and that they're not just symbolic or happenstance uh, or smaller, you know, less impactful and uh, larger versions of, you know, like an actual human sacrifice or just you know, a blood sacrifice or something like that. Because as we know, blood magic does exist, uh, and we've seen that a little bit. But we don't really have any indication other than either bleeding or personal sacrifice that, you know, any of that really comes into play here. So, wanted to bring all of that to the fold because I do think that at the end of the episode, with the reveal of her actual age, this theory is getting some more attention uh, because it is it is actually possible that she could be a descendant of Shiera Seastar and Brendan Rivers if they if they had a kid and that was proven in the timeline. It is possible. Um, the next bonus content that I'm going to explore and I hope you will stay tuned for later in the week is. Along the same lines of these characters that I talked about today, but also including the possibility that Shiera Seastar could be Quaith, who we saw in Season 2 for you show watchers, and who we saw in A Dance with Dragons for you book readers. Um, And I think that's the last time we saw her. And she says some very interesting things to Daenerys about what you should be aware of, who you should trust, and who you should not trust. So anyway, we will have that, or I will have that for you next time. Uh, But join me and Matt next Monday for a recap of episode two, an episode called Home. And it really, I think, I think we're going to start seeing some new, some new stuff. We're going to catch some people that we did not see in the first episode, and hopefully we'll get some more information about Melisandre and where all this is going. Uh, Do we believe she's going to resurrect Jon Snow? Is she going to play a larger role after that in helping defeat the White Walkers, or will she have to make the ultimate sacrifice to ensure that Jon lives another day? Thank you all so much. Please, if you have any comments... Uh, I'll be doing a couple of these uh, as we go throughout the season, maybe one or two extra a week. It depends on how much extra content is out there and what else we've got going on. But I would also love any suggestions if you'd like me to cover something that you either saw in an episode or an episode past, or perhaps a character or theory that you'd even like us to explore. And I can have Matt on here too. It doesn't have to just be me droning on and on. It's whatever you guys want. So thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. As we always say here, the night is dark and full of terrors.